Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in five... Four, three, two, one. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Good Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Appreciate you joining us. Good to have you on board. I'm Jeff. Tom, Director Matthew, both here as usual. And away we go. By the way, today on the show, Mike Tomkowitz going to join us. He is a commercial litigator, trial lawyer, with and shareholder of uh, Gray Robinson. Going to join us. You, you guys remember him. He's the one who asked Jimbo Fisher, where's the loyalty? Uh, back in the day, he's going to join us and we'll talk about the uh, ACC, Florida State and the ACC and uh, that uh, litigation. Get you an update on that. Obviously, we have the NFL that just played out and then we have a brief mention of the bubble. I can't ring the bell, Tom. How are you, buddy? Can't ring the bell. I was looking forward to continue to ding, but no dice indeed. So no ringing of the bell. Won't spend a lot of time on it. I will gloss over that. And then we've got Florida State football to talk about, too, because uh, some kids are coming back, and uh, we had some visitors over the weekend. But uh, most importantly, I guess I should lead. If we're going to do a, a central theme Florida State show, I should lead with the fact that Josh Farmer is coming back. And I'm going to go ahead and toot my own horn here. You'll remember the show. It was the Jeff Cameron Show, Tom, that uh, December. I told you Josh Payton wasn't, uh, was, wasn't going anywhere. I mean, Josh Farmer wasn't going anywhere. I told you Patrick Payton wasn't going anywhere. And I thought Dell Jackson would be back. And now all three. Hey, all's right with the world. They're all back. Here we go. It is a good thing. It is a good day to have those particular players. Uh, I'm still going to set the over-under at one and a half instances between now and camp in August of somebody scaring us on social media for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, well, um, that's what they did originally, Tom. Sorry to interrupt. That's, that's the thing. I'm getting better at this. You know, I'm I'm big on these things, reading teams, reading people, reading body language, and now reading social media, which, which I don't like to do. But uh, I just get the sense that these kids are really reactionary. Some kids are a little bit more reactionary than others. Things don't go the way that they want them to go. The frustration bubbles over. And in a moment, because it's at your fingertips, because it's easy to do, they lash out and they post something or they say something online that they don't necessarily mean. And I don't, 
I'm getting better at reading who these guys are, and, and not all of them, not all the guys operate the same way, but the, the this seemed pretty easy. I still believe that the over-under before fall camp is uh, one and a half moments where you go, oh, well, that doesn't sound so great. Uh, you know, it's kudos, obviously, as they did last year to the battle's end for handling the retention side of the operation, which Absolutely. is good. Yep. And now your defensive front, you know, with Grady Kelly coming in, in addition to some of the younger guys like a Daniel Lyons, like a KJ Sampson, uh, you got the, these two frontline players on the edge. Uh, excuse me, in the middle. And on the edge, you obviously have Patrick Payton. Oh, you got a great rotation, Tommy. You got a rotation right now here. Yes, and you've got specialized types of bodies. Mm -hmm. Lolo Hea and Duro Jaye are going to set the edge for you, more like Keir Thomas. And then Patrick Payton and Marvin Jones are going to get after the passer for you. Mm -hmm. And Byron Turner is going to be in that mix as well. So, you know, you guys, you're going to keep your guys fresh, assuming this is your starting defensive line all the way into the season. You've got a real fighting chance to have your first wave and your second wave, giving you big numbers, staying fresh for the big moments later in the games. We know that this year, with a huge drop-off in star power at edge, they still rotated guys uh, pretty aggressively. So this is this bodes well the way they want to rotate, that you're going to be fresh in those third and fourth quarters when the game's on the line. And if you're playing an offense that likes to run the ball, you can stack it a certain way against that. And if you've got a team that likes to throw it and chuck it around a lot, you can pin your ears back. Marvin Jones on one side, Patrick Payton on the other. That's a way to close a football game right there. Yeah, I like having um, versatility, obviously. And I like knowing that uh, you retain guys that have been very productive for you already to kind of set the tone and with these new guys that are coming in. This, this is going to be a better defense uh, than I thought as we ended the season. We were all kind of really, really, really quite worried about what that was going to look like. They filled a lot of holes there. They have found positions of need. They even brought in a linebacker, as we know, from Alabama. I, I, I think they have a chance to be pretty good here, especially with all that talent in the secondary. They just had to solidify what they were doing up front, and every day that's gone by over the last 10 or so, we've gotten another check mark in the box of solidifying the front. And that, to me, is the biggest key of the offseason. Now, as with all of this stuff, you take it with a grain of salt. You know this as well as I do, and as you just alluded to, that maybe somebody will do something to make you nervous or somebody will get pissed off or somebody will try to snatch a guy from your roster because that's what's ongoing. This is what college coaches are dealing with by the hour. Like I doubt they put their head on the pillow at night and feel very good ever about what they have. They think they know, but they know they don't really know, and they're really one minor piece of drama away from losing a guy or having a guy get angry or having to re-recruit a guy or whatever it might be. Uh, but I, I do I like the stability of what we have with the battles in, and then of course what Mike has always been able to do, and his staff has always been able to do in the portal, and so you're continuing you know continuing to build it up. By the way, this is a good week. This is a week where we'll get some schedule reveal, and you and I love the schedule reveal. It's weird. It's like list season. Uh, and you know, I love list season, always have, makes me laugh at myself. I laugh at myself. I'm the victim of countless silly stories in which I just click, click, click because I can't help it. It's a list. But this one, this one matters. This is who you're playing and when and what time and where and all that good stuff. So that kind of stuff I love. And that leads us to Thursday's show, which will have our first edition of W's and L's. That's this Thursday, W's and L's. I can't wait for that, man. Because we know an awful lot about how the schedule is going to line up. 
You know, we heard the whispers, obviously, of Labor Day weekend coming back from Ireland that you're going to have a game with Boston College. So that might be today's reveal is they're doing week one, not week zero, but week one. So we likely are expecting that. Then you got Memphis two weeks later coming to town, which is strange, but you were playing Memphis. And that likely means that you're looking at a buy in between week one and week three. Because this is a weird year, too. I think everybody gets two Saturdays off this year. Florida State's going to get three because of playing in Ireland. So there's going to be this disjointed, segmented nature of the schedule. So once it all lines out and you see where Miami fits, Miami earlier is better. I think we all agree. Playing them earlier is better for Florida State. Where does Clemson fit on the schedule? Is there going to be a Thursday or a Friday game? That's part of their uh, their little intentional leak tomorrow mm-hmm. is specialty Thursday, Friday games. You know, we, we, we're searching for, I think, six or seven of our opponents, what weekends we play them, but there's 10 weekends that they could all land. So, yeah, it, it's going to be fun to sort through. And then the W's and the L's, man. The, the optimistic side has always been uh, the winner in recent history with Mike Norvell. Well, I, yeah, because we thought he had the right modus operandi. We thought he was on solid footing. We thought this was being built on something that was real and sustainable, was tangible, was something that he lived and illustrated with his actions on a regular basis. And, of course, you know, the coaching staff did a good job, an extension of Mike around every turn, uh, facilitating that. So I've always been very impressed by that. To the NFL, we now know who we got. AFC-NFC Championship Games this weekend. I will say this. We mentioned it on Friday's show, Tom. I thought Green Bay-San Francisco would be really good. Six of Green Bay's first seven possessions, they get inside the 25-yard line of San Francisco. You think they're kicking themselves today? They were the better team for much of that game and did not win it because of red zone problems. Obviously, they missed a kick as well, which what else is new with that guy? Why do they keep rolling him out there? He sucks. I don't care that he's a rookie and with a huge leg. That cost him dearly during the course of the year, cost him dearly in this game. A big drive, obviously, for San Francisco. One thing about Shanahan that I'm noticing, and I've seen it, it's a trend the last two years. Why is he coached scared? They got weapons galore. Why are we always coaching scared? I don't know if the answer is that he doesn't trust Purdy, which he seems not to. Certainly doesn't in inclement weather, and I wouldn't either because he doesn't play well. Should have been a pick six right out the gates. But from there made throws late, so you got to give him credit for that too. That team is loaded. They shouldn't coach scared. I love that guy from an innovation standpoint and the way he schemes up an offense. But, man, that at the end of the half nonsense, I mean, what are you doing? It's bizarre. He's so afraid of somebody else having an opportunity at the end of the half to kick a field goal that he costs himself seven points half the time. It's ridiculous with the way he calls plays in those situations. It almost came back to bite them in the ass. Uh, No, Green Bay, I think, was the better team. And I hope that the NFL Playoff Selection Committee looks at that this (laughs) week when they're choosing the NFC Championship game. They'll have the Los Angeles Rams uh, taking on the Green Bay Packers because, look, they're just better. All caps, they're just better. And Green Bay was just better. Watch the games. Yeah. I don't care what the scoreboard says. The, the Packers were the better team. But they weren't men enough to finish that particular task. They were and not. They were not. And that was. And look, man, our Bucks had a shot yesterday. 10-10, good field position twice in the third quarter. You don't do anything with it. Yeah. And then the Lions offense went to a different place. Goff made about four or five throws yesterday, which tell you why years ago he was the number one overall pick, one of which was actually a third down throw to Laporta over the middle, which was brilliant into tight coverage. Then the touchdown to Amon Ra was also a great play. Uh, 
we gave the Lions a chance to get hot, and then they got really, really hot by the end of the game. Bad third and fourth quarter for the Bucks defense. Well, 17-17 in the start of the fourth quarter. So you're right in the game. You have a chance to win the football game, and obviously they didn't stop anything over the middle all day, so it's not surprising that they attacked the middle of the Bucks defense in that situation. I think the Bucks must have given up the vast majority of every yard gained in that game right over the middle of the field. Nobody was going to adjust to anything over the middle, apparently. Bowles being chief amongst them. Okay, just keep attacking the middle. We'll make sure it's wide the hell open the rest of the game. That does not mean that I'm angry with this season. Far from it. What a gift of a season. When you go into a year expecting the Bucks to win, I think I said four, maybe five games. They end up winning the division, winning a playoff game, and they're tied in the fourth quarter on the road with a chance to go to the NFC Championship. Nobody's bitching about that. Congrats to Detroit. That's a good story. I like Detroit. I got no problem with Detroit. Good for them. I think they'll go and lose to San Francisco, but it's not out of their reach, especially we talked about San Fran's defense waning as the year went on, and I'm a little worried about it. We'll see if they adjust. I think both teams will be able to score in that football game. Now, kudos to the Ravens. They dominate in the second half, really dominated the whole game, if not for a punt return touchdown. The Texans did nothing on offense. That's a lot of credit to Baltimore's defense. Uh, I thought Lamar played well. They made great adjustments. Talking about second half adjustments, I thought they played well. We got, as fans, we got what we wanted. We got a bunch of good games. I mean, we ended up, that San Francisco-Green Bay game was awesome. That was a fun game to watch. And then it capped off last night with an incredible game to watch. Uh, Buffalo, in a weird way, see, I know nobody in Buffalo today can do this. And congrats to Kansas City. That's six straight AFC Championship game appearances for Mahomes. He's amazing. All that's true. But if you're Buffalo, pretty early in that game, you realize, oh, man, the injuries on defense mean we're not getting a stop. We are not getting a stop. So they did the only thing they could, which was hold on to the ball. Like, just hold on to the ball. They had an eight-minute drive, they had a nine-minute drive, they had a seven-and-a-half-minute drive. That's all they could do was hold on to the ball, which is the right thing to do. And at the end of the day, they put themselves in a position to have a chance. Didn't happen. And much like Florida State fans, we don't like to hear it wide right. It happens. I'm not sure it would have mattered if he had made it. Kansas City probably would have gone down and won anyhow. That said, whew, you have some opportunities there on that final drive. You do. I, well, and the one before that, too. Um, you know, I think it's the deep ball to Diggs that's the play of the game there where he drops it. And that, that's just killer. Never it's again like, do you want to see him turn and bitch at Josh Allen. My man that, threw the ball from his 12 to the 26. From the 12 yep. to the opposing 26 and minus, what was it? Well, it was nine degrees, 20 mile per hour winds from the 12 to the 26 and you drop that ball? Shut up. Never again. Never another word. Never another yep. word. He laid it in there. He laid it in there. And, and you know, you could look at the third down play where Romo is freaking out about Diggs being open underneath. And that's true. He is. But, but and look, that's, I, I would rank the Diggs thing as a more disappointing development than the third down play because my man's open over the middle, but Allen takes the hit as he's throwing. Yeah. It's going to be a touchdown end. if he doesn't get hit. It's a great it's rush no, off. The, Chris Jones. Well, he made that throw last week against Pittsburgh. So it's not like he can't make that throw. Mm-hmm. That's a frozen rope typically if he's not getting hit as he delivers the football. Uh, but to me, that was the the play of the game. If you're talking about the disappointing moment, the moment that the air is let out of the stadium and it's just, yeah, that is an opportunity where you're going to go in, you're going to score. You need to take the lead on that possession to have a chance to win the football game. I agree with you. Even if that kick is good from Bass, I, I don't, you, you're lucky to get to overtime at that point. And if you do get to overtime, uh, I don't know. I, I don't like the yeah, chance. They're not getting because stops. Defense is, no, you need a fumble. You need something, you need something flukish to happen to get out of that game. And the other thing is given how hurt they are, I don't think they had much of a chance next week against Baltimore. Kansas city, on the other hand, does have a chance 
next week because of their Baltimore. defense. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that look, Kelsey's come to life a little bit here. Obviously, he's got the two touchdowns yesterday, but the last two games, there's been a little bit more to it. Pacheco finally, they never figured out what to do with running backs for the longest time, but now they're committing to running backs, pounding the ball. Pacheco has been impressive two weeks in a row. They've got a little something for Baltimore. I don't think they're going to win, but they've got something for them. Should be a fun game. I do think it's Baltimore Super Bowl to lose here at this point. I mean, that team looks complete, and they're also healthy. They're also very, 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 very healthy. One final note here. This is an amazing stat. You'll hear it today because this is what we do on the talk shows. This is what people do, and, like, you got this guy's not good enough. This guy, you got to move on. you got to fire these guys. you got to do all these things. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. I would just say this. If you're Buffalo, you stand pat, and you hope you're healthy next year. Josh Allen's played in 10 uh, playoff games now. He's 5-5, five and five, and people will say, well, he should have won more. Well, I mean, it's not as far as defense blew a game with 13 seconds to play after he gave them the game, you know, go-ahead score uh, a year ago in Kansas City, all of those things. But 5-5 five and five is the record. In those 10 playoff games, passing, rushing, and one TD reception on a trick play, he is responsible for 27 touchdowns, four INT, and he's averaging throwing for 330 yards a game. Yeah, Josh Allen ain't the problem, everybody. That guy's not the problem. Uh, and that rope from the 12 to the 26, I'd, it'd be hard to look at Stefan Diggs in the face again. I mean, so, it would, how frustrated would you be? I made the mistake uh, when I launched my uh, YouTube TV this morning. You know, it auto-selects for you. It's not even whatever the channel was on last. So I had it on last night on, on the game on CBS. And yeah. then it, like, suggests, based upon your habits, what channel you want. And it, and it goes straight to get up. I'm like, oh, oh boy. So I stuck around because Ryan Clark was making a point, and of the of that desk, he's pretty good. Yeah, he is. Within ten seconds, he and Orlovsky are shouting at each other about Josh Allen's legacy. Well, you do and that. You're like, man, time to go. Josh Allen's legacy. We're talking <laughs> about. I mean, really, I get that you got some space to fill here over a course of a long period of time. Yeah, no, this is. But that, like the B block is about Josh Allen's legacy. But that's right. where that goes, man. That's where that always goes. Um, and it's weird because it's like you're tr- they force those guys to have an opinion that it's this guy or nobody. Like, look, Patrick Mahomes is incredible. Nobody's going to argue that. You'd be a fool to argue that. He's amazing. And he's had an amazing career and he's well on his way to the Hall of Fame. That being true doesn't mean Josh Allen sucks. <laughs> it's just like, it's crazy the way they do that. It's, it's, it always goes that route. All right, we're not going to go that route, though. We're going to do the right thing, and we're going to move from the NFL for a moment. And when we come back, uh, Mike Tom, uh, Tom Quitz is going to join us. You heard me say at the top of the show that uh, he's a commercial litigator, trial lawyer, and shareholder of Gray Robinson, and uh, you'll remember the face. I remember the face. I wonder if he remembers the last time we saw each other. It was very brief. It was in passing. It was over a a, a beer, a celebratory beer, a great moment. Chef Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply 
Hello there, podcasters. Oh, don't worry. I won't prattle on for two minutes like I do with some of the other reads. Zaxby's doesn't demand it of me. <laughs> Zaxby's like, look, just tell everybody that we have the best chicken sandwich in all the land. That's easy. I can do that. I can attest to that. A delicious, thick, juicy, tasty Zaxby's chicken sandwich is where it's at. Of course, the strips are a given. You like the strips. We get the strips on game days. The platters are lifesavers. Mm-hmm. If you're going to a party, a pool party, say, this summer, and what do I bring? Just bring a beer giant thing. No. and Zaxby's. Worry about the beer. You bring the Zaxby's, you're going to be the hero. Just uh-huh. make sure you get all the sauces, too. They've got like 97 sauces, and they're all delicious. I don't know if you guys know this. There are 27 Zaxby's in Tallahassee alone. 27. You can't miss them. I think that's true in general in every city in America. They're like so, peach trees in Atlanta. They're everywhere. Look around. Find you a Zaxby's and get after it. By the way, your Tallahassee Zaxby's a proud Golden Chief booster for 18 years. Go Knowles. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. <laughs> Jeff Cameron Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio War Chant TV. Mentioned it uh, during the break. Wanted to have an opportunity uh, to, to to bring him on and, and talk uh, a little bit about what's going on with Florida State. Obviously, we would like this to speed up. We would love all of this to get done sooner rather than later. I think everybody comes at it from the standpoint that, uh, oh man, can we? how, how soon is this going to be over and we're going to be out of the ACC? But of course, the law doesn't work that way. Mike Tomkowitz joining us now on the Jeff Cameron Show, commercial litigator, trial lawyer, shareholder, Gray Robinson. Mike, let's welcome him in and say hello there. Look at him dressed up so nice like a lawyer is. How are you, buddy? Pretty good. Going on camera and you got to throw the tie on, you know. He did the right thing. Hey, by the way, so you recall you had just become famous after asking Jibbo, where's the loyalty? And I ran into you where? MMOs. That's right. That's right. There it is. Momos. And we were all in a good mood and smiling. And uh, I was getting pizza to go. We had a celebratory beer of the moment. Now fast forward all these years later. And hopefully we're having a beer to celebrate Florida State leaving the ACC in timely fashion. But something tells me, given that it's a lawsuit, that won't happen anytime soon, right? It'll take a long time for this to get worked out. Yeah, I think when you look at it, uh, originally everybody hoped that there would be some kind of negotiation right off the bat and that we would come to some quick agreement. But the more that you get into it and you watch how the litigation is unfolding, it looks like the parties are really entrenched in their positions and that there isn't going to be a quick solution here. All right. So it's interesting. There was an amended complaint and it added offensive claims against FSU. They were seeking monetary damages. Tell me what that I, means. I like the football terminology added in there. So, <laughs> yeah. It, it, now, let me remind you, I'm with a big firm. So they've asked that I indicate that everything I say here is my own personal opinion. It is, does not represent Gray Robinson. It's basically me, Mike Tomkowitz, as an FSU fan and a lawyer in the community. So to get into that, there's some speculation as to how we even got to this point and why there isn't an amended complaint right off the bat. 
So what you saw originally was the ACC tried to beat FSU to the courthouse and it filed a two count complaint basically the night before we were authorizing the filing of our own complaint. So that was asking for declaratory judgment that the grant of rights and the amended grant of rights were valid and enforceable. Then what happens is FSU files its complaint and we're throwing the entire kitchen sink at them. The boys over at Greenberg filed a seven count complaint asking for all kinds of things and basically accusing the ACC of mismanaging itself and thus hurting FSU's prospects to compete long-term in college football. The ACC gets that, they look at it, and either they weren't quite prepared to originally file, and so they had to rush themselves, and they put out this, this two-count complaint, and now they're getting back to the real meat of some other things, or they're saying, you know what, we can double down too, and we can go after damages and injunctive relief and make this very painful for everybody involved. And when you look at their amended complaint, that's exactly what they've done. They've added these injunctive counts saying, not only do we want you to say that the grant of rights is enforceable, but we want you to give us the power to stop Florida State from basically torching us and saying that these grant of rights don't work anymore. More importantly, I think they really amped up the volume by adding in these additional counts for damages, basically seeking to claim that we breached certain agreements or fiduciary obligations or implied duties under contracts. And therefore they're entitled to money damages, which they haven't yet determined, but they say in their opinion is substantial. So that that's kind of where they're amping up the volume. When you look at the, the sum and substance of what they've alleged back at Florida State, you start to question whether or not there's any real way you could unwind this without us leaving the ACC. That's awesome. Okay, so with the ACC's motion to seal being renewed, notes that FSU intends to oppose the motion. So is the first big showdown, is what I'm going to ask you, over whether the ACC gets to keep the agreements confidential with their filings? So basically the ACC is alleging that FSU already let the cat out of the bag. That's part of their counts are a failure to maintain the confidentiality of these documents, and they're seeking money damages connected with that. There probably will be a round of discussing what's actually confidential, should these things be confidential. That's going to all happen in the future. And right now, you've got uh, an amended ACC pleading. You've got the original FSU count. From my understanding, Peter Thamel originally put this on Twitter that they were going to respond, the parties were going to respond to their respective complaints on the 16th of February. I confirmed that with folks that are handling the litigation for FSU. So it looks like the next round of this, where they'll be talking about all those types of issues, will be on February 16th. And frankly, I think what you're going to see is a motion to dismiss. There'll probably be arguments about venue and where this should be litigated and where this should be fought. And that's that's going to be the next step of this. Whether or not the ESPN and the ACC network agreements are confidential, should be confidential, are still confidential, that's probably going to be down the road from that. But that's now front and center in this litigation. It's very interesting when you read through the ACC's amended complaint, they say, hey, look, you know, not only are these documents confidential, we did everything to try to help you keep them confidential. We basically put them under lock and seal in our ACC offices. So, you know, Florida State is really the bad actor here. All right. So let's go big picture here. Rather than get into the weeds, I want, this is the first time I've had you on, I want to ask you, you've read the documents. 
What do you think of what you've read up to this point from both sides? What is your thought on this case? I don't know. I feel like a sports journalist at this point. So when I first saw Florida State's pleading, I thought, wow, this got this has some meat on it. This is very good. Um, when you look at the ACC amended complaint, it definitely has some punch and the way that they address the allegations. That was the other thing that you notice in the ACC's amended pleading is that a lot of their allegations, not just the added counts, but the factual underlying allegations appear to be addressing some of the stuff that was alleged by Florida State in its complaint. So it's kind of like they're answering us without actually answering us. It's a, it's a nice move on their part. So it's close. There's a lot going on. You're going to have a lot of fighting about what the 2016 amended grant of rights was intended to do. ESPN says that the amended grant of rights was there to facilitate the ACC network. FSU seems to be alleging that the 2016 grant of rights was intended to effectuate the ESPN media deal. So what's really the facts and what was happening there, that's probably going to be parsed out with the documents and emails and deposition testimony between people that were either involved in it or currently holding leadership positions. So there's a lot going on. I think that probably the biggest takeaway is that the ACC is not just content with saying we want our grant of rights to be found enforceable. They're saying, look, Florida State's on the hook for money damages for taking it this far. So, you know, I don't know where this ends up going. I think that the only way it can end is with Florida State leaving, paying somewhere between zero and 572 million, maybe even more if the damage counts are substantiated and there's some real damages that are created by what ACC has alleged that Florida State has done. So it, it, it probably gets very uncomfortable for you if I say what fans are thinking, which is, in your mind, w will they come to a negotiating uh, table at some point and never see this play all the way out? In, in your opinion, do you think that's where this ends? Like, that number, let's say that number, we don't know what Florida State's hoping that number is. I'm sure they want it to be zero. We know it's not going to be that in all likelihood. But let's. does it seem likely to you that this will end up being something where we one day wake up and go, hey, how about that? They're out of the ACC for $300 million. Yeah, well, I'm not inside the negotiating rooms here, and I believe that the parties are talking about these things, or they will be talking. They, you have to get everything set up in the litigation, and when it starts getting into discovery, that's probably when there'll be more talking. Once we kind of have an idea of what claims are real, where is this going to be fought, right now you don't have any idea about the risk that the parties are facing because – the ACC feels pretty confident we're going to argue this thing up in North Carolina. FSU feels pretty confident we're going to argue this thing down here in Leon County. That's a big difference where who is hearing it and where could have a great impact on whether or not some of these claims are dismissed or whether or not there is a, a quicker end to this matter or a longer end to this matter. So really, if you're a savvy, shrewd business person on either side of this, you probably want to play this litigation out a little farther to find out where you are in the risk assessment analysis. So as a litigator, we'll, we'll usually plead our case and then they'll answer. And you don't really know what's gonna stick or how they're gonna come at it or how strong the arguments are until you get a little deeper into it. And that's kind of where we find ourselves here. So if you had asked me at the outset, I thought this could have been done rather quickly, but the more that I look at it and I see the allegations and the, the claims on either side, 
I mean, it could be an entire year or more before we get this thing to a point where it could be resolved. Yeah, more than yet. That seems uh, kind of where I thought you would say this is going. It's frustrating for everybody, but at the same time, that makes sense. I, I I'm just curious. I'm a fan too, Jeff. Like, if I could come in here and tell you it'd be done next week, I really <laughs> wish I could do that. But like, well, you okay. Know. So you're a fan and lawyer, and it's important because I, I'm curious. When you first heard about the lawsuit, I'm, I'm taking a few steps back now. Were you surprised? It doesn't seem to me that the university would levy this lawsuit without a, a, a serious thought to the fact that they could end up having to pay out more than $500, million, $700 million. So you wouldn't enter into this unless you thought you had a very, very good chance to either see this go to the negotiating table or outright win. Yeah, and I believe that they completely thought that. And I've spoken with people that are involved in the litigation and they feel very strongly about what they've pled. Um, and so I think that we feel we can win it. And I think FSU has a good shot. All I know is I think that Florida State will be out of the ACC and I mean, if you want me to guess and throw out a number, I mean, I think it, it's somewhere around what the withdrawal fee by itself would be, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. It depends on how all this shakes loose. Uh, the ACC has done a good job trying to up the volume and make this a bigger matter with more money at play and more damages in an effort to try to strengthen their negotiating position. I think it also was important to see how the other schools react to the litigation, whether or not they get involved. That could tip the scales one way or the other, too. If there's four ACC schools that want out and somehow either join our litigation or institute their own actions within their home states, that could change the dynamic and whether or not the ACC wants to fight a forefront war and what they think that looks like as far as risk assessment is concerned. Because if anybody gets the grant of rights invalidated, that basically lets everybody out of jail. Yeah, so, it dissolves the conference, basically. They're screwed. Well, and that's an interesting point, because when you look at the amended complaint, you start thinking to yourself, wow, it's like they're fighting for their jobs here. And that's really what they're doing. So um, I feel like the, the ACC has gone pretty ballistic and nuclear as far as how they've alleged this aggressively and and try to put everything that they can out there on paper yeah they yeah okay this makes a lot of sense and i'm, I'm glad to hear that affirmed because it seemed to me that it was awfully punitive to file ahead of florida state like they, they were ready to go to war and they beat florida state to the punch to some extent because of where they want this heard right that's why they did that i would assume they want that in north carolina and by beating florida state to filing does that is that the hope yeah. So again, I'm speculating, so I don't have any real knowledge one way or the other, but me as a lawyer and a strategist and doing litigation, yeah, they wanted to get ahead of Florida State. I, I feel like they kind of rushed to file knowing that we had the Board of Trustees meeting coming up and them guessing correctly what that was going to be about. And so they tried to get the first filed rule in play where they filed a lawsuit up in North Carolina. That's where this thing should be litigated. Of course, there's an exception to the first file rule that if you're doing it just to get in front of someone and gain a tactical advantage, then perhaps the first filed rule doesn't get followed. So, yeah, there's a bunch of jockeying. They, they filed it quickly. They tried to get venue where they wanted it. Now they're coming back and they're saying, well, Florida State's got these damages claims. We can do all that, too. And by the way, we want them to not participate in operation and management of the conference while this is ongoing because they're not being good partners and fiduciary members <laughs> of, of our organization while they're instituting this lawsuit to try to undermine the grant of rights. All right. February 16th. Is that what you said? Somewhere in there? Yeah. So 
February 16th, go out, have a great Valentine's dinner with your spouse or, or whoever, and then buckle up because that's going to be the next part of this. Um, the only other thing that's really occurred beyond the amended complaint is it looks like the parties have obtained what we call local counsel, which is important for litigating these things. So I was just reading the back end of that amended ACC complaint. And it's important to note that they have listed as on the service list some North Carolina lawyers from Bradley, Arendt, Bolt, Cummings, LLP um, as counsel for defendant. And I believe that we're the only defendant in there. So I assume that these folks are now serving as local counsel for Florida State up in North Carolina, but I'm not sure. Here in Tallahassee, the ACC has engaged a local firm, Lawson Huck Gonzalez, who appears to be a bunch of Gator fans to help them with the ACC <laughs> litigation uh, in Leon County. So all those lawyers, they're talking about what they're gonna do and what they're gonna file, and we'll get to find out on February 16th. Nice shot, nice shot taken there. Well done, sir. Hey, Mike, it's fun catching up again. We'll do it again here real soon. I'll have you back on the show, the next big thing that comes up, and then I'd love to see you off the air as well and catch up. Be good, sir, thanks for the insight. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Take care. Uh, Mike Tomkowitz, commercial litigator, trial lawyer, shareholder, if I could speak, Gray Robinson. That was good. That was good. A lot to uh, digest there, think about. And uh, so February 16th, he said, uh, go out, enjoy Valentine's Day with your significant other and buckle up. Most people go out on Valentine's Day with the hope of unbuckling. It's Jeff Cameron, show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. What's good, everybody? It's T. Lizzie here, and I'm talking about HelloFresh. Can you believe it? I'm doing myself a little pod read here for our friends at HelloFresh. They're supporting both Jeff and I here on the podcast, and they want us to let you know about what it is they do and why they can help you with a New Year's resolution. If it's to save money, to eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do any or all three. Just say hello to your most delicious year yet with fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at a price that you'll like, delivered right to your door. Each HelloFresh box is packed with farm-fresh ingredients, and everything arrives pre-portioned right to your doorstep for less hassle and less wasted food. So here's the cool thing. I have not tried HelloFresh yet, but the box has arrived at my house today. I've got three outstanding meals. I chose the plan of meat and veggies. I'm going with the basics here because I'm kind of a picky eater, so they can work around my pickiness. And the three meals that we're going to be cooking up at my house are sweet chili pork and cabbage stir-fry. All right. Sweet and spicy apricot chicken and pecan-crusted salmon. Very excited to try this out. They've got easy sheets, little placards that come with the menus. They show you how much time it takes to prep, how much time it takes to cook, and the calories involved with each one of the meals. So simple, and I can't wait to give it a shot. If you want to experience what we're about to experience, go to HelloFresh.com slash CameronFree and use code CAMERONFREE for free breakfast for life. That's right, one breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That is free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash CAMERONFREE with code CAMERONFREE. Okay, so you got to go to the website, HelloFresh.com slash C-A-M-E-R-O-N-F-R-E-E, and then type in that same code at checkout. I'm about to find out, you should find out too, why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network. 
Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Thanks to Mike Tomkowitz. Did a great job on the show just now. We'll have him back, I'm sure. Commercial litigator, trial lawyer, shareholder, Gray Robinson, letting us know the nature of the amended complaint. ACC on the offensive there. Claims seeking monetary damages for breach of contract, injunction claims, all that good stuff. Want to make sure they keep the uh, uh, all the all the documents sealed and confidential. And like, hey, 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 we don't want our stuff on Front Street. Put it all out there, guys. Put it all out there. We'll see. Maybe the rumor of other teams getting involved, huh? Wouldn't that be something? Other programs getting involved? Um, that wouldn't suck. Uh, I do like uh, the forthright nature in which he says um, this, this law firm locally must be a bunch of gators representing the ACC. I don't know that to be true. Certainly would seem like it. That was nicely done. I didn't get to ask the cloak and dagger question regarding the grant of rights, but I think we know the reason. And the uh, crooks of, at the crooks of all this is, uh, you know, this whole idea that if it happens and there's a number attached to it, then peace. The ACC is no longer uh, a conference. That's, that's, that's why they're fighting for their lives, absolutely. Yeah, I, I believe I caught that right, that his opinion, his yeah. personal opinion on the way this is going, is that he thinks it's not going to be much more than the exit fee. Well, he did say that, time. and that raised an eyebrow, Tom, because right off the bat, I thought if it's just the exit fee, pay it and let's ride. Yeah, so what they're trying to do is run up damage counts so that they're allegate, you know, what they're alleging is that Florida State owes eight hundred million. Whatever, you know, just I'm throwing a, a random number out there. Yeah. But that way when we meet in the middle, the number is a little bit more palatable. Like, you know, if you're trying to get hired and you have somebody say, I'll pay you twenty five thousand, you say, Well, I want a hundred thousand. How about we meet in the middle? How about we meet in the middle? <laughs> That's what it sounds like what the ACC is doing, is uh, they're afraid that on its face, without other damages, other sources of leverage, they believe it's going to be the exit fee plus 50 bucks. <laughs> I'm going to give you 50 bucks. Here you Cash. go. <laughs> Cash money, homie. Oh, my goodness gracious. Basketball team lost over the weekend, Tom. I didn't get to ring the bell. I mentioned it, but let me just get into this very quickly. One problem for this team, and a lot of you ask me, why won't I yell choo-choo? Well, I won't yell choo-choo anytime soon. They're, they're in real trouble as it pertains to that. This loss was a, a, a tough one to take for Florida State because the Knolls are sitting at 11-7. and seven. In spite of that uh, great run that they just went on, uh, they are, you know, tied for second place in the ACC with NC State and Wake Forest. Uh, but they're two games behind North Carolina to try to, you know, take first place in the conference, 7-0. Carolina, by the way, will be paying a visit to the TLC Double C on uh, Saturday, 2 o'clock. That game, if you can't make it, is at uh, is on ESPN. We'll travel to Syracuse for a Tuesday night game this week against the Orange. They're 4-3, uh, 7 o'clock ESPN 2. You saw they hit a 3 at the buzzer to knock off Miami, who Florida State had just vanquished. Game started off well enough at the TLC Double C. Florida State with that 21-13 lead early. Uh, Clemson goes on a run. Uh, eventually this game ends up even at halftime. 
once Clemson, when it was 41 40, uh, with about 14 minutes left, I thought, okay, well, at some point you're going to have to get a stop and you're going to have to make a shot because we can't shoot. That is the one problem with this team is they, they are not good at, you know, shooting the basketball. Darren Green's got to hit a bunch of threes for them to shoot well typically. Uh, they just don't. And uh, although credit to Watkins, who played very well in this game, and I love watching him. Uh, Baba got into some foul trouble. That hurt this team. Uh, and the and the the three headed monster at center really didn't produce much at all. I think a grand total between the three of those guys. I'm talking about Corn and Ganey and Green. I think it was five points or something like that. So Clemson hit everything in the second half. But for Florida State, if you look at this again, um, ten of twenty five, three of eleven from three, fourteen of nineteen from the free throw line. Meanwhile, Clemson fourteen of twenty three. That's almost sixty one percent. Seventeen of twenty from the free throw line. They had a Huge advantage on the glass, 21 to 8. Points in the paint, 20 to 12. It really was all Clemson in the second half of this basketball game. So uh, the best you're going to hope for is barring a crazy, crazy run. Now, if we do take care of business tomorrow night on the road at Syracuse, you're going to get the juices flowing a little bit. Uh, you're going to be a huge dog at home against North Carolina. But if you could score that victory, you're now you're back. We're a little bit ahead of where we were talking on Friday. I think it's a big if and it, that they can win both of those games. It's a big if that they can handle business even tomorrow. It's a quick turnaround. It's an awkward team that they're going to be playing. But you're right. It's funny. I looked at that same sequence. So to start the second half, I had Clemson on five trips down the court, scoring four out of five times. There was a bit of a lull. And then at 41 to 40, 10 out of 12 trips down. That includes missing the front end of a one and one for one of your two empty possessions. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 12 trips down the court. Clemson comes away with points. A lot of that was at the free throw line, but they made some shots as well. You just you couldn't get a stop. You could not get an empty possession, and that's what killed you. Clemson's offense in the ACC hasn't been good this year. It was on Saturday. It was very good. They deserved to win the game. They were the better basketball team. It's unfortunate for Florida State that that happens at home because you would have put yourself in a really nice position. It's a winnable game Tuesday. And then, of course, as we said, you get North Carolina at home. That could have been nutso, right? Had you won this game over the weekend, all of a sudden you'd be talking about, again, six-game, seven-game win streak places going nuts there's real momentum you begin to believe you you know you're knocking down these net ratings going getting closer and closer to a place where you're starting to talk about the tournament for real now it's kind of like oh man crash landing but they don't shoot well they just don't shoot well they have a lot of length and they have a lot of players they can throw at you uh they've got fouls to give for days they don't shoot well from the free throw line they don't shoot well from three so they have to really kind of dominate the boards and alter a bunch of shots with that length and if teams are going to make shots against you and you're going to get out-rebounded in the way that Florida State did and outscored in the paint, well, that's no recipe for Florida State because that, that length shouldn't allow for that, and it happened. And Bob got in foul trouble, and that didn't help either because, as I said before, even when he's not scoring, I know he had eight, but even when he's not scoring, he's affecting shots when he's on the floor, and for Florida State, that, that hurt a lot. So that's where they sit now. We shall see. Uh, at least they put themselves in a position uh, to, to, to matter a little bit for, for a week and a half in basketball where it hadn't been that way. I watched a lot of college basketball over the weekend in addition to the football. Uh, you're trying to make the pivot now. That's where you're at. You're, you know, you're, you're at the very, very end here of uh, of football season. Granite, you have the good news, which is something new every day happening in college football, whether it's Alabama losing somebody else, Florida State raiding somebody else's roster, a 
kids decommitting from Bama. That's a story in and of itself on a daily basis. It's fun to watch. Uh, I'm going to continue to follow that and see. You know, by the way, one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about when we were talking about Farmer and the Battle's End reaching an agreement again, that was posted. Kudos to roster retention and what the Battle's End has done in this portal. Florida State is in the top five rankings of all the portal teams so far this offseason. I didn't think they were going to have to go that hard into the portal. They've had to go that hard into the portal, and they've answered. They've also retained the key components to that defensive line right now, so that's all something to be excited about. I still think they'll add another piece before this is all said and done. I don't mean right now, obviously, but I mean uh, before we start the season in the fall. Florida State will have a couple of, uh, of additions, in my opinion, uh, that I think they'll they'll target, and we'll see. Um, no no inside information on that. It just would make sense. There's a couple places that I would probably target. Well, and there's a chance that they're not done adding in the immediate because if Jim Harbaugh takes a job at the NFL level, then more dominoes are going to fall. Michigan's roster is now open for business. I don't know that there are any potential fits for Florida State and Michigan, but it opens up the possibility. And then who replaces Jim Harbaugh if it's not an internal hire? If they go somewhere else? I mean, it just never ends. And that's a good thing for Florida State right now because they're in buy mode. But I would think, you know, maybe if they wanted to, uh, if, if things went sideways with a backup linebacker from Michigan coming off of a national championship <laughs> yeah, like, and the guy just isn't feeling it, if Coach Harbaugh is not there, well, young man, I think you should enter your name into the portal and let's see what you're all about. Or a defensive interior or a, a stud, whatever, young wide receiver who doesn't feel like developing for two more years. My quarterback's going away. My coach is going away. You never know. This window may open for Michigan, and it may open for maybe another school. That's all if Harbaugh goes. If he doesn't, I think they're done until the spring window. But, I mean, if he leaves, I would think that they may look outside of the organization to go make the next hire, which opens more doors. I would fully highlight anything on the defensive side of the ball for Michigan. My goodness gracious. Mm -hmm. Hour number two, forthcoming. Stay with us. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV.